Hello, welcome to the second in our policy and practice uh, autumn statement specials. This is David Gork, Head of Public Policy at McFarlane's. I'm delighted to be joined by Faye Jarvis, uh, a pensions partner here at McFarlane's, and we are going to talk about all things pensions and the autumn statement. Not every fiscal event uh, is that exciting for pensions reforms, although I can remember a couple I was involved in in 2014 and 2016. Um, But this was one of those. Uh, Everyone, of course, will recall uh, Jeremy Hunt's uh, Mansion House speech and the reforms he announced uh, back in July. And uh, this is the autumn statement where he takes these forward. But um, that's enough of, of me because we've got a proper expert on pensions here. So, Faye, what are, the, what are the big headlines from what Jeremy Hunt said on Wednesday? Thanks, David. There's actually quite a few. You're right. This was a big um, a sort of statement for pensions this time. You'll remember that Jeremy Hunt in the Mansion House is looking to do two things. He's looking to unlock some of the capital that's held by our pension schemes and also to increase returns for savers, given that the majority of savers these days tend to be in defined contribution schemes. And so there are three key key themes running through the package of reforms that were announced yesterday in the autumn statement. The first one is around providing better outcomes for savers. And there's a a couple of different things the government are looking to do here. The first is is to deal with small pots because you have lots of people being auto-enrolled into pension schemes, um, sometimes on unfairly low wages, and they move around a lot. They end up with lots of small pots in different schemes, and that's not good for savers. So the government is proposing that there'll be some automatic consolidation of those pots into a few authorised pension schemes. On a similar theme, the government is also proposing, it's going to explore looking into people having a pot for life. So rather than their employer deciding which pension scheme they're going to put their employees into, an individual would be able to say to their employer, I want you to pay into this pension scheme for me. And that would be quite a different proposition from what we we currently have in the market. Sorry, just to interrupt, is that going to be quite difficult for employers in terms of administration? Is there there much of a concern about the cost from an employer's perspective? There is lots of people. In fact, this is probably the most controversial of the announcements from yesterday. There are concerns as to how this will work from an employer perspective and this sort of arrangement where you've got, you know, hundreds of employees and potentially you're paying into, you know, tens, 20 different pension schemes. So there will be a cost to employers and there will be some complexity around that. I think there's also some concerns that actually, is this the right thing for individuals? It's felt that employers picking a pension scheme, they have more buying power. They can also make sure that people don't pick the wrong type of scheme. We've had so many scam arrangements in the UK around pensions. It's a big issue. And there is a risk of individuals picking the wrong type of pension scheme and ending up with limited savings. So there are some concerns around this particular announcement. Uh, no doubt that's why there's quite a lot of consultation to come on this one. There is there is going to be a lot of consultation on, on how that will work in practice. Um, I think it's also it was such a surprise because the government seemed to have previously um, dismissed this as an option when they were looking at how to deal with small pots. One option was you could have the pot follow the member and they were quite dismissive of that. I think the reason they've changed their mind is because they are very keen on something called uh, collective defined contribution schemes. 
um, they are keen to get these off the ground because they feel that it might give savers a better outcome, but it also helps with that unlocking capital and having large pension schemes with the ability to invest in perhaps um, a, a broader range of assets. And so just as a reminder, collective defined contribution schemes, it's where employers and members all contribute, but it all gets pulled into one collective pot. It's not individuals can't pick and choose how they're invested. It's all pulled into one collective pot. Um, and the idea is that then that can be invested in a broader range of assets, hopefully then generating better investment returns and producing higher pensions at the end. But for, for CDC to work, you need scale. So you need scale and you also probably need members not to be transferring in and out a lot and not lots of membership movements. And so I think perhaps the idea of a pot for life is partly being driven by the fact that the government's really looking at how can they get these CDC schemes off the ground. Yes, I suppose given that with pensions, there's very often a lot of inertia from policyholders, isn't there? Um, but if people move jobs, then obviously you know that that up until now has always meant well that's another new pot. But but presumably, if people kind of commit to a pot and then that's going to be it, I mean, most people aren't going to be bothered to change their pension pot very often. Exactly, and you know there are some countries that have this sort of model. Australia is one of them. So there are you know countries around the world we can look at to see how this works in practice. But it is a very big change from what we have at the moment, and. Equally with CDC, while there's lots of talk about it, and I know Laura Trott, who's obviously no longer the, the pensions minister, was very keen on it, and I think other others in government are as well, we currently only have one CDC scheme, and that was the Royal Mail scheme. So, you know, there's quite a lot of work to do to get those off the ground, I think. Very good. Okay, so sorry, I, I interrupted you earlier, Faye, so apologies for that. So that was, so the sort of, the first big theme is about better outcome for savers. Uh, and, yeah. and then we've also got this this issue of consolidation as well. Yeah, so consolidation has been a theme for some time. The regulators concerned that there are lots of small pension schemes and are they really providing value for members? Equally, obviously, small schemes, they have less ability to invest in a broad range of assets. So I think the, the government wants to have really lots of savers in big schemes. I think it wants something like 80% of savers in sort of very large schemes by about 2030. So there's a real focus on driving consolidation in the pensions market. And one of the ways it's going to do this, which has already been uh, touted, is by introducing a value for money framework. So every um, defined contribution scheme is going to have to do an assessment by comparing itself to other schemes using a range of different metrics to say, are we providing value for our members? And if they're not, if they conclude they're not, then they will have to wind up and transfer their assets to another pension scheme. And so this has quite a lot of implications for lots of people in the market, because if you are an investment manager uh, responsible for investing monies from a defined contribution scheme, you're going to need to be providing some data uh, to, to your um, to your scheme, your clients, so that they can do this assessment um, and compare you know, how they're performing. So um, there'll be quite a bit of work there. Now, the FCA is currently in the process, I think, of designing the rules for their value for money framework the, for the those pension schemes that are set up under trust that are governed by the pensions regulator. That's going to need some legislation. And there has been some concerns already raised. We don't want a sort of two track system here. We need both contract based schemes and trust based schemes 
to have to comply with this framework at the same time. And so, you know, if the FCA is getting on with it, we need to see some legislation on the trust-based side. So that's one area that the government's hoping will drive consolidation. In terms of DB, pension schemes, defined benefit pension schemes, we've obviously had the news that Clara, which is a commercial consolidator, has done its first transaction. Um, But Clara is only available to a certain type of scheme. I think you've got to be a, a certain size and also have a certain funding level. And the government is suggesting that the Pension Protection Fund might be a, a public form of consolidator for perhaps smaller schemes or schemes that are less well funded um, so that they can consolidate into the PPF. Now, how that will exactly work is not clear. Um, there's a lot of debate about whether this is a good idea. You've got to think about, does this give employers the opportunity to offload their pension scheme in some way? And is that fair to compared to other employers who perhaps done the right thing and funded theirs properly? There's all sorts of debate to be had around that. And we don't have any of the details. So that's a bit of a watch this space. They've also announced um, some decisions on surplus as well, rules. Um, so ability for employers to um, to do something with surplus in their pension schemes. And then finally, on the LGPS, just on on the theme of consolidation, this isn't consolidation of schemes, but more of investments. They're looking to change the way the local government pension scheme, the LGPS, pools uh, their investments. And they also have a 10% uh, allocation ambition for the LGPS to invest in private equity and, and that sort of thing. Yeah, and this this sort of issue of um, of getting more money into private equity and uh, higher risk, more productive uh, investment. It's, it's a big part of what the government is trying to do or have quite big implications for quite a number of our clients, I suspect, in in, in, in various guises. Where, where, where are we going to see that develop in terms of this issue of um, you know, diversifying the assets that uh, is going to be held by uh, pension funds? I mean that's a, that is a, that's a good question, and we've got um, some proposals around some of that. I mean they're, they're they're looking to the British Bank to develop a growth fund, and I think that's one area and opportunity for development here. We've had um, the long term asset fund, the LTAFs, and um, that we've obviously been involved in developing on the on the DC side. So there is an opportunity for I think innovation and looking at how these more illiquid, perhaps riskier assets can be brought into an appropriate diversified portfolio of investments for pension schemes. But there are some concerns that that go with that. It's not without its challenges. Um, liquidity being a key one for defined contribution schemes and indeed defined benefit schemes. And also there is a slight conflict between on the defined benefit side, between on the one hand wanting schemes to invest in perhaps these a more diversified range of assets. And then on the other hand, the government's continued drive to ensure that members' benefits are secure and you don't have deficits in these defined benefit pension schemes. And the regulatory regime that we've had over the last 10, 15 years has all been into driving defined benefit schemes to to de-risk their investments, um, you know, to to ensure that they're not running a deficit in the scheme. And so the difficulty is balancing off those two conflicting aims. Yeah, and there is there has been some criticism of this push, isn't there, that this is um, you know, es- essentially trying to get pension funds to boost productivity, take greater risks. Um, and you know, de- de- deliver higher economic growth, but but potentially 
you know, at the expense of uh, their members who, who might might end up losing out, and uh, you know that that's going to be quite a live debate. But I suppose that raises the question: is there a is there a consensus for this? We've got a general election next year. Uh, probably not for us to hazard a guess uh, as to what the result is going to be next year. But if there is a change of government, um, is this an agenda that will have cross-party support? So I think on certainly on the, the drive for getting more investment into um, sort of the, the UK economy and utilising that, ensuring that pension funds are um, investing in a way that perhaps generates growth for for the UK. Um, that is something that I believe Labour are are very supportive of, and I think they've made their own announcements in the last few weeks on that. So quite a lot of this around, um, you know, the British Bank and the Growth Fund that was announced um, on the local government pension scheme and, cons- and on consolidating in the pensions market. I think probably would have broad support, whether they'll do it exactly in the same way. But I can see those themes continuing irrespective of who's in power. Similarly, you know, the issues around protecting savers and improving outcomes at retirement. Um, I think that there are lots and lots of surveys that show that people who just have a, a defined contribution pension, a lot of them are not saving enough to have a comfortable retirement. And we are going to have some issues. And that's one of the reasons I think um, the government has been keen to explore the collective defined contribution schemes in the hope that that might be a way to generate uh, better retirement outcomes for individuals. And again, I think Labour are supportive of, of that concept. So I think broadly, the detail may be different, but I think the the sort of concepts and themes could well remain, even if we have a change in government. I think the only thing that where there is um, a, a real difference of views between the two parties is something, and we've not touched on it, but the lifetime allowance, which Jeremy abolished at the last, um, at the budget, I think, in earlier this year, um, which is the amount, maximum amount you can save in a pension scheme in a tax efficient way. There was a cap on that and that's being removed. I think Labour are very anti that policy decision and they have said they would reinstate the lifetime allowance, which does cause issues if you're trying to advise people on what to do with their pensions. Yeah, that, that's absolutely right. There, there is a difference between the parties there. Of course, the, the, the challenge um, for Labour, if they are going to bring back that lifetime allowance, is what you do with some of those better paid public sector workers. You know, the argument that the government gave for, for, for scrapping it was was very much focused on hospital doctors and GPs and uh, what have you. And there's some, some quite tricky issues uh, there because that's where quite a lot of the money comes from in terms of uh, that particular restriction. Um, so, uh, Faye, sort of more generally, we've, we've obviously seen sort of progress on the Mansion House proposals in this autumn statement, um, a number of consultations. Um, we're still, I think, waiting to hear quite a lot of the details about, about what has been announced. What, what are the next steps? What are the things to be looking out for for those in the industry? Well, I think, as you say, lots of consultation. And I think it will be important for the industry, both you know, from the investment side, from the sort of pension provider side, to really engage with those consultations to ensure that we get you know, a, a regime that works for everybody in the in the best way. And at the moment, the next step is really lots of uh, consultation and we need draft legislation for a lot of this. We are going to need some legislation. I think everyone was waiting with bated breath at the King's speech 
to see, you know, what was going to be announced in terms of a pension bill, and obviously nothing was forthcoming. So it's not clear when all of this um, will come about. For example, if the Pension Protection Fund is going to be a consolidator, that needs legislation. The value for money framework for um, occupational pension schemes under trust, that needs legislation. And this, this a pot for life proposal would need legislation, as would um, the ability to move pots um, around so that you can consolidate these small pots. So there's quite a lot that requires actually primary legislation as well, not just regulation. And that, as we know, takes time. Um, So I think there'll be lots more consultations, lots of people writing written responses. But actually, when we will see all of this come to fruition, it's still very hard to say. Um, Other than, I think, the um, accelerated consolidation of the local government pension scheme investments so that they're pooling their investments. The government set a deadline for that of March 2025. And obviously things around um, the growth fund with British Bank, that can... um, that can all be done more quickly, I would have thought. Very good. The other, I think the other the other point I would just flag as well is that some of this needs IT structures. And we we know from the pensions dashboard, which is this concept that you'll be able to log in and see all of your pension arrangements in one place um, on a dashboard with every single pension provider in the country having to feed in. We know from that proposal which is ongoing that they've had all sorts of issues getting that off the ground and it's been delayed and we're now still waiting to know exactly when pension schemes are going to have to sign up and to that for the pot follows life and the small parts their suggestion that we will need some form of clearing house and obviously establishing that getting the it infrastructure in place is also going to take time and, and can be delayed as we've seen with the dashboard so um it could be a good number of years before we see any of this come to fruition. No, interesting. I mean, I can remember the, the pensions dashboard as a policy when I was working pension secretary six years ago. So um, uh, these things do take some time. But by the sounds of it, there's a pensions bill at some point. Well, let's hope so. <laughs> let's hope so. And uh, no doubt we'll return to this subject with another podcast as and when um, there's a pensions bill. I suspect we might return to the subject before then. Um, Faye, thank you very much for that. I should also um, mention that uh, as as uh, uh, Faye talks about the LTAF, um, we will be discussing the LTAFs um, further in our financial services podcast in this series. So a little plug uh, for that. But Faye, thank you ever so much uh, for your thoughts on pensions. Really quite a lot there in that awesome statement on pensions policy. Um, And uh, certainly we at McFarlane's will be keeping a close eye on that. Many thanks to our listeners. As I say, um, we're doing a series on the awesome statement and uh, we'll pick up one or two of these themes in our financial services podcast too. Thanks to Faye. Thanks for listening and do tune in again. Thank you.